This is a message by Pastor Mark Fox at Antioch Community Church in Elon, North Carolina. For more information about the church, go to antiochchurchnc.org. Good morning, church. Our passage this morning will be 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Amen. Good morning, saints, and thank you, Janelle, for reading, and thank you, Trent, I mean, Trent, uh, thank you, Trent, for playing, uh, but Brent for standing in at the last minute for Caleb. And I want to say thank you to Janet Phillips, I don't know if she's here, but she designed that, just like she designed the theme for First Peter, and I'm thankful for Carrie and Micah in making that banner happen. So have you ever gotten a last letter from a loved one who knew his or her death was imminent? I bet if you did, you read that letter over and over. Maybe you still read it over and over. You probably have memorized that letter. It's so important to you. Well, we begin the second letter of Peter today by remembering that he wrote his first letter somewhere between 62 and 64, best guess, A.D., and he wrote that to his readers who were elect exiles. He, he addresses them in the first verse of that letter. Elect exiles. They were scattered throughout Asia Minor. But they were also under the thumb of the Roman Empire. Nero was the emperor. He didn't start his ravaging of the Christians until later in the 60s. But in 58, he became the emperor in Rome. And so they were under occupation, if you will. And so Peter now writes his second letter, and most believe that he's still in Rome. He's possibly in prison. We don't know. And this is his last letter. He tells the readers in chapter 3, this is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. And we know that this is his last letter because of what he says in, later in this chapter. And we believe he understood that his death was imminent. So again, he might have been in prison, and he might have been given a, a you know, in 10 days, we're going to cut your head off, or we're going to execute you with a crucifixion. We, the standard belief is that Peter was crucified, and he said, I'm not worthy to be crucified like my Lord. Please crucify me ups, upside down, which is what is believed to have happened. But how do we know Peter knew his death was imminent? He says this, In chapter 1, verse 13 and 14, I think it right, as long as I'm in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And that's in John 21, when Jesus told him, this is how it's going to happen, Peter. And so we'll look at that later when we get to that passage. Now, some would say Peter buried the lead here, to use a, a, a newspaper theme here, lead, L-E-D-E, but... But to him, his death was not the most important thing. He didn't start with that. That wasn't most important. What was most important in Peter's mind were the churches that he was writing to. He was writing to churches who were under persecution, who were under challenges. In fact, three great challenges they were facing, and they're represented by three chapters in this book. In the first chapter, we're going to look at, and I'll do several sermons for each of these challenges but in the first chapter, we'll look up at the, he talks about the foundation upon which we stand. What is our foundation? Who are we in Christ? And how can we face these persecutions and these false teachers? 
unless we have that foundation and we're standing firmly on it. And that knowledge, our foundation is the knowledge of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, this truth stands in stark contrast to what will be spewed by the false teachers and prophets. And so Peter's going to address them in the second chapter. Chapter 2 is the certainty of the judgment that is coming upon false teachers and false prophets. And of course, one of their favorite lies was about the return of Christ to say that it wasn't going to happen. And so he addresses that in chapter 3. Chapter 3 is, is about the day that we look forward to, the certainty of the return of Christ. Now, Peter wrote this letter to, to his readers to make sure that their foundation is in Christ. And said to that end, he says, I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. This is true for us as well. At any time, saints, at any time, no matter what's going on, we can recall these truths, the foundation upon which we stand. Through the, the trial of the death of a loved one, a prolonged sickness, a barrage of temptations, a dark night of the soul. It doesn't matter. Peter says, don't stay there. Don't stay there. I'm writing so that, so that you may recall these things. And as he said earlier, so that I may stir you up. You're down here. I want to stir you up to the things that you've been called to in Christ. And I want you to believe that grace and peace has been multiplied to you and is being multiplied to you by our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So with that as an introduction, let's look at Peter's greeting today. Under these three points, the servant apostle, our precious faith, and grace and peace. Now, let's begin by answering the question that some of you may have had, even when you heard Janelle read that. She didn't misread. He starts with Simeon, Peter. You go, what? what? Why does he call himself Simeon, Peter? I thought your name was Simon, Peter. Well, it is. Simon is the Greek form of the Aramaic name Simeon. All right, and so there are a couple of times where he's referred to as Simeon, Acts chapter 15 during the council. Uh, somebody calls him Simeon there. But remember, the most important part of his name is not really Simon or Simeon, it's Peter. Who gave him that name? Jesus, right? He said, You will no longer be Simon. Simon means reed, it means something that wavers, it's it blown about by the wind. He said, You're going to be Cephas, you're going to be Peter, you're going to be a rock. And so, so Jesus does the same thing for us. He speaks into your life, hey, this is who you might think you are, but this is who I know you are. You are mine. You are, you are part of the beloved, and you're going to stand on the foundation, which is yours in Jesus Christ. So Peter first identifies himself as a servant. You see that? Simeon Peter, a servant. The word is doulos. It refers to a slave who has been purchased. You might even say someone who's been bought with a price. That's who Peter was. That's who you are, you and I. Everyone is a servant. Every single person born since Adam was born or created, every single person is a servant. You're a servant or a slave to something or someone. Peter knew his Lord and Master was Jesus Christ. He was a servant to Jesus. What a grace it is to come to that place where you know and you understand and you believe and you stand on the truth that you are a servant 
bought with a price, and you belong to Jesus. And your life is for him and not for yourself. It's great when we come to realize that our own worst enemy is ourself, right? And he comes to rescue us from a life of bondage to selfishness and self-protection and self-pity and self-promotion and all the other self-words that we can come up with. You know, self-care, that's a big thing now, self-care. And I'm not against self-care, but look, if it's all about self, though, we're, we're, we're standing on the wrong foundation. And we're going to continually be anxious and depressed and out of sorts because it's all about how I feel and my care that I'm not receiving. So Peter was a slave of, of Jesus Christ. I think if he had a business card, it would have said, servant of Jesus, right? That would have been the first line. But then he also says, I'm, also an, I'm an apostle. An apostle was one who was sent by another and a messenger who bears the authority of the one who sent him. Now, we need to understand, and I think you all understand this, that the apostles of Jesus Christ, and there were a limited number of those, held the highest office, if you will, in Christianity. Until they died, they, held the high, they had the, the highest authority, if you will, of anyone. And there are no more apostles. I don't care what the Mormons say. There are no apostles anymore who have that kind of authority over churches. In fact, you know, nobody can write scripture anymore, but the apostles could. They had authority to write the words of Jesus down. And so they had authority. And Jesus said to the 72, now these weren't all apostles in the strictest sense of the word, but they were sent out by Jesus. So they were apostles in some sense. And Jesus said to these 72, as he sent them out, the one who hears you, hears me. And the one who rejects you, rejects me. And the one who rejects me, rejects the one who sent me. Whoa. Now, if Jesus said this of the 72, how much more did this apply to the eleven? There were 11 apostles. Of course, you know Judas Iscariot was the son of perdition, and he left and, and deny, betray Jesus. But this was true of those 11. It was true of Matthias, who was chosen in Acts chapter 1, I believe it is, to, to take the place of Judas Iscariot. And who else would, would it apply to? Who's the other apostle? Paul, the apostle Paul. Perhaps the greatest apostle. He said, I'm the least of all apostles. I love what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, I'm one untimely born. Right? He was born again on his way to kill Christians. God said, no, 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 Paul, you're not going to do that anymore. Here's what I got planned for you. So Paul also would have that authority as an apostle. And there are 13 letters written by Paul, perhaps 14 if he wrote Hebrews. And, and he was an apostle of Jesus Christ. His, and, and I hear pe people say, some Christians even say this, well, I believe in Jesus, but I'm not going to believe what Paul, this guy Paul wrote. He was a misogynist. He was a, you know, hyper-patriarchal. No, whatever Paul wrote was inspired by the Holy Spirit. And everybody said, that's right, amen. So the apostles had the, the highest office, if you will. But in a lesser sense, there are the, the same is true for us who walk with Jesus. We are also sent by Jesus. And we don't call ourselves apostles. We call ourselves disciples. We call ourselves servants of the Most High God. The person of Jesus Christ. But we also have been sent to proclaim the message of, God, of the gospel to the lost. And we preach and we teach the word and we share the word with anyone 
that we can. You don't have to be a pastor or a preacher to share the word with anyone. In fact, Paul, when he said this in, in Romans 10 and 15, he was, he was uh, quoting from Isaiah, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. He wasn't just talking about people standing in the pulpit. He was talking about every single person who follows Jesus as a disciple. And as we said last week, a disciple is one who makes disciples. Then you have beautiful feet. Everybody take off your shoes and socks. Look at your feet. No, don't do that. We are servant messengers of Christ the King. That's, that, that's what our, our business card should say. I'm a servant messenger of Christ the King. Oh, yeah, I have a job. And I do this at the store. I do this at the school, whatever. But no, no, my, my primary reason for existence is I'm a servant messenger of Christ the King. And I take that into my profession. And we joyfully, I love the fact that he, he juxtaposed servant with apostle. We joyfully are willing to take the lowest position in society, servants, and the highest calling in the kingdom, sent ones, sent by Jesus to the world with the gospel. At the same time, in the same person. And that leads us to our precious faith. And the second part of that, he says, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing. Peter reminds us in this second half of of verse 1 of three important truths about our faith foundation. Three important truths about our faith foundation are all in that, that one phrase. First, the faith that we have was obtained. Faith is obtained, right? That word picture there is someone who has received his or her apportionment of an inheritance, If you've ever received an inheritance, maybe you've been in the room where the last will and testament is being read and you're waiting to see what you got, okay? You obtained an inheritance. You didn't didn't earn that. And you probably don't even deserve it. (laughs) The faith that we have, we did not earn and we certainly don't deserve. It was a gift from God. You're beneficiary of another's grace and mercy when you've given an inheritance. God has given us faith. Paul reminds us of this in Ephesians 2, 8, 9. When he's talking about faith, he says, this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. Have you seen the commercial about Mr. Marbles the cat? Mr. Marbles, the cat, is in the room while the last will and testament of his owner, who has deceased, is being read. (laughs) And I love the commercial because, first of all, the cat is given. Mr. Marbles is given a lifetime supply of Chewy, and it will be delivered to his house by the company Chewy. Apparently, that's some kind of cat food, and Mr. Marbles says, I always love that old man. And then it goes on, and they're shocked to hear that Mr. Marbles is also given the summer house. And the, the, the rest of the family members are groaning in disbelief. And Mr. Marble says, hey, you got a train set, Todd. <laughs> it's a commercial, I know. But this verse stirs up my mind by gentle reminder that God's gift of faith in Christ is better than a universe full of summer houses and even train sets. Second, the faith we've obtained is the same faith the apostles obtained. This New King, King James Version likes, uh, and I like the, the, the way it expresses this, that we have obtained like precious faith, right? We have obtained like precious faith. And Spurgeon wrote about that. He says, 
that he tells us too that faith is precious and is it not precious? For it deals with precious things, with precious promises, with precious blood, with a precious redemption, with all the preciousness of the person of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So the same precious faith, Peter says, that was given to the Jews, he says you were, it was given to you elect Gentile believers. You have equal standing, in other words, with us who were Jews who walked with Jesus. You have equal standing with us, right? Every sinner saved by grace has equal standing with every other sinner saved by grace. God is not a respecter of persons. That means he doesn't respect people. It means he does not have favorites. We have like precious faith. You're not a, you're not a bench warmer. You're not a second stringer. You're not a also ran. You also have like precious faith if you know Jesus. Third, we stand on and in the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Talk about a claim there by Peter in his second letter to the deity of Jesus. There it is. Our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Right? And that righteousness he's talking about was given to us as well. It was a gift. It was imputed to us. We have imputed righteousness, which means it was ascribed to us. It was appointed to us because of the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus. But what else does it mean that we have the righteousness of our God and Savior through Jesus Christ? You remember what God said to Jesus, his son, at Jesus' baptism. Remember that? You do. I'm sure you do. Jesus has just been baptized by John in the River Jordan. And the Spirit, it says, descended upon Jesus as a dove. And then a voice spoke from heaven. Whose voice was that? God's. What did God say to Jesus? Carlene! There you go. He said... You are my beloved son, in you I am well pleased. Now, why am I bringing that up? Where are you right now, positionally and spiritually? Not in a pew. I'm talking spiritually and positionally. Where are you if you know Jesus? You're in Christ, right? Paul said that in Ephesians chapter 1, he said, You are blessed in the, he has blessed us in the beloved. You are in Christ, and Christ is in you. Does everybody understand that? So what does that mean? That means that God would say to you, right now, in you, I am well pleased. Some of you don't believe that. Some of you don't believe that because you think, well, how can he be pleased with me? I mean, after what I did yesterday, or I spoke this way to my wife or to my kids or whatever. Guys, you are in Christ. He, he doesn't rejoice in our sins. Of course not. We're not pleased with our sins. Of course not. But God is pleased with you because you are in Christ. His righteousness has become your righteousness. We have to understand that. Or otherwise, we're constantly living a works-based life. We're all constantly living an acceptance, works-based acceptance. 
Maybe if I do this, if I have my quiet time tomorrow morning, I didn't have, if, I, if I have my family devotions, then look, you should have family devotions. But if you don't have family devotions this week or ever, is God not pleased with you? No, he's pleased with us because of Jesus. So important. We, we have a foundation, and that foundation is the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Finally, we get to verse 2. And he's going to talk about grace and peace. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Peter said the same thing at the end of his first letter greeting. You can look back at 1 Peter 1 and see that. He said, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Why? Because the churches in Asia Minor are facing great challenges. They need grace and peace multiplied. Now, now the first letter was really more about the challenges they were facing from without because of the persecution that they were suffering. But here, this letter is really more about the, persecu- or the, the challenges they're facing from within. Because these false teachers and these false prophets are in the churches. They still are. We have to be aware of that. And we'll talk about that in great detail in chapter 2. So he says, may grace and peace be multiplied to you because there will always be false teachers and false prophets in the churches. Not in every local church. I'm just saying in the church in general, there will always be a representation of false prophets and false. Now, some people have written that Peter was pushing back here against Gnosticism, but the philosophy of Gnosticism, we'll talk a little bit more about that as we go on. That was, really wasn't fully in, in form until the second century. This is still the first century. But it still is here today. Gnosticism is alive and well. R.C. Sproul wrote that at its origin, Gnosticism was an amalgamation of Greek philosophy and Asian dualism with a sprinkle of Christianity mixed in. So again, as we, as we talk, we'll talk about that uh, down the road. But you and I stand on the grace of God, and grace is multiplied to us. Grace, I, I think this is a good, good way of looking at grace. Grace summarizes God's saving work through Jesus Christ. What is salvation? Grace. Right? Why were you saved? Grace. How do you live? Grace. In fact, grace is not just the power of God that saved you, but grace is the power of God that helps you day by day work out your salvation in fear and trembling. It is the enablement that the Holy Spirit gives you by God's grace To walk in faith and not be afraid of those who come against us on a daily basis. And not give up when you're going through a hard time. God's grace multiplied to us. We also rest in his peace, which is a summary of the content of our salvation. Right? What does salvation mean for us? Peace. It means peace. The peace that we have, Jesus said, the world cannot give. Well, what's the greatest desire of the world? You ask the Miss America contestants, most of them are going to say, what do you really want to see in the world? What are they going to say? World peace. peace. You can't have world peace. In fact, we'll never have world peace. We can't have any peace outside of our salvation in Jesus Christ because salvation is peace with God. What do we need more in the universe? People who have peace with God. That's why Romans 5, Paul says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through, through our Lord Jesus Christ. We, have, we can have peace, 
peace with God only because of salvation. But by God's grace, we can have the peace of God in good times and in terrible times. Though our justification will never be increased, it doesn't need to be increased. It's perfect. Our justification. We are justified by the work of Jesus Christ, which was perfect and complete. Justification will never increase. But grace and peace will. They can. They should. And that's why Paul is saying, or Peter is writing, may, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. And that's why he links the multiplication of grace and peace to the knowledge of God and of Jesus, our Lord. You may have noticed a number of times, if, you, if you've done a little reading ahead of time to see what we're going to be talking about, you may have noticed a number of times Peter talks about knowledge. <laughs> it's mentioned six times just in chapter 1. Why? Because it's the knowledge of God and of Jesus, our Lord, that increases our understanding and our faith and our peace grow. In fact, I love the passage we'll get to in a, in a few weeks where he talks about, you know, we're called by Peter to add to our faith virtue and to our virtue, virtue knowledge. Isn't that interesting? The world would say, now, now listen, young people, what you really need more than anything else is knowledge. So you need to go to school. Now, I'm not against knowledge, but isn't it interesting that Paul says, no, what you really need, or Peter says, first of all, you need faith. Number one, you need faith, and that's a gift from God. And then you need character. You need to be a person of character who walks out your faith and lives out your faith day by day. Oh, and yeah, and add knowledge as well. So we'll unpack that a little more fully when we get to it. And he says you want to do that so you will not be unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. This means, saints, as we close, there's work for us to do, work for us to continue in, growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, which Peter's going to end this letter with. That's the encouragement he closes us with. But I would add this, this encouragement. There's a constant push to increase in knowledge without acknowledgement of God, the source of knowledge. Or to increase in truth without obedience to Jesus who said, I am the truth. Or to increase in faith without recognizing the only immovable object of faith, our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. If we have knowledge without God or truth without Jesus, what good is our faith? I remember when I was training for a, a triathlon, it was a while back, and I was a terrible swimmer. In fact, I still am. But I went to Beck Pool, which the Beck, Beck Pool is on the Elon campus, a number of times to swim laps because there was hardly ever anybody in the pool. And I would start at the deep end. It was at least 12 feet because they had a, a platform dive, a high dive, really high dive. And I would swim from the deep end to the shallow end and back and forth and back and forth. I was trying to build up my conditioning level so that I could swim a mile in open water for the triathlon I was going to be doing. And sometimes I would be swimming in the dark. I could hardly see. It was dark and you know, I didn't turn the lights on. They weren't on yet, and nobody was there. What if I had walked into that pool one day, walked into that area one day in the dark, and I couldn't see anything early in the morning, and, and, they were, and I didn't know they were doing maintenance in the pool, and it was empty, and I dove off the deep end. See, my, my faith in water that was not there to hold me up would be as profitable for me then as those who believe in knowledge without God and truth without Christ. It would not end well. 
Saints, we are servants of God, of Christ, who have obtained the gift of faith and who abound in grace and truth. We just ask for one more thing. God, give us one more thing. Give us grateful hearts. Give us grateful hearts for that. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful this morning for this word to us. And I pray that the word that I've spoken, anything that I misspoke would be forgotten quickly. Anything that came from your heart to our hearts would be remembered and cherished and loved and built upon and and believed on so that we can walk it out in truth. And that this church may grow in our knowledge of Jesus Christ, our God and Savior. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. Antioch Community Church meets every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. at 1600 Powerline Road in Elon, North Carolina. For more information, please go to AntiochChurchNC.org.